had a man's voice. Did you hear that? <laughs> it was an audio effect. <laughs> Is it a little... Uh, Mike, I think we're too hot. That's uh, professional lingo in the trade. Too hot, I wasn't referring to my appearance. I meant this microphone. <clears throat> How are we doing now? Is this a little... You think it's okay? It's not blowing your eardrums out or anything? Oh, oh you don't have to yell. <clears throat> Did you hear Jeremiah Johnston? He's a wonderful guy. He has five kids. Three little ones are triplets. Little boys. They're about three and a half. We didn't let them in the worship center for obvious reasons. We sent them to the children's ministry because they have duct tape there. So we don't have duct tape in the worship center. <clears throat> so we're in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we are. Faith chapter, you know about it. Hey, let me ask you a question before we dig in. Um, do you believe that the world was created by a creator? You do believe that. <clears throat> So I'm wondering how or why you believe that, because most of you weren't there when it happened, right? Some of you look like you could have been, but <clears throat> most, most weren't there. So, and, and yet you express with such confidence your belief in a creator who created the cosmos. On what basis do you believe that? Look outside, I got gotcha. you. Faith, someone says. In what? Faith in science. Okay, there you go. And, thank you, my dear sister. Faith in the word of God. Listen, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. You accept that. You don't understand it. You weren't there to be an eyewitness. You surely see corroborating evidence to support it. I got you. But you mainly accept that based upon what God says. Folks, that is biblical faith. Confidence in what God said. It's as simple as that. And yet the ramifications get pretty complex. I'll show you some of them. But first, let's dive in. Take a look at verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is something that happens in the present with reference to things yet in the future. Um, sight produces a conviction about visible things. Faith, on the other hand, is a conviction about invisible things. Faith leads you to believe that certain things are real though they've yet to be revealed. That's faith. Blind faith? No, no, no. Biblical faith is simple. Confidence in what God said. I'm going to repeat that a lot because then you'll be able to distinguish biblical faith from non-biblical faith. So faith is a believer simply taking God at his word. That's what faith is. The writer goes on to say in verse 2, by it, that kind of faith, men of old gained approval. 
Why is he saying that? In the congregation at the time were three types of Jewish people. One group believed, just as you and I do, that Jesus is the Messiah. They were persuaded. They were born again, just like you and I have come to be. The second group were, uh, were just as serious about rejecting Christ. You say, why were they in the group? Well, for the same reason churches are visited by non-believers all the time. Curiosity or maybe a friend invites them. The third group were ones who professed to believe in Jesus the Messiah, but perhaps did not. Now they're getting nervous because their identification with Christ was bringing upon them persecution. And they're saying, good night, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. Why should I take a hit for him? So they were tempted to go back into the old system of Judaism, a religion of working for your salvation. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to persuade them, don't do it. Therefore, he says, even those men of old who you hold in high esteem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, those gained God's approval by faith. You're seeking to go under a man-made religious system in order to win God's favor. But all these heroes of the faith... Won God's approval, not by morals, ethics, good deeds, good works. They won God's approval by faith, which is confidence in what God said. So that's the case he's making. In fact, he says in verse 3, by faith, this is what we understand, that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. You already stated this. We know that by faith. We weren't there to witness when God said, let there be light. But we believe, based upon what God said, that's exactly how the world came to be. God spoke it into existence. In fact, we believe what it says here. What is seen was not made out of things which are visible. God didn't take existing elements in the cosmos and form and fashion creation. No, he spoke into existence. It's called creation. Listen to this word, Latin, ex nihilo. Out of nothing. That's what the creator did. It wasn't that he had building blocks and he constructed or renovated what is and made it better. No, he spoke into existence what never was. Wow, that's a that's a quite a lot to accept. And we do it by faith. By faith in God's statement to that effect. We simply embrace the simplicity and clarity. Of what Genesis 1-1 says. In the beginning, God created. We accept it. Now, that gets us in trouble with certain people. Because they say, oh, you faith people. It's so delightful to be as naive as you are. Oh, it would be so great to be as believing, as illogical, as unscientific as you are. You're primitive in your thinking, but your, your, your thinking is good for you because you're intellectually unsophisticated. We, on the other hand, we're logical. We are scientific. So don't buy that. I'll tell you why. You have here faith people, us. We have confidence in God's explanation of the cosmos. Simple. In the beginning, God created Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 tells us more. It says he spoke into existence things that were not and they became creation realities. No, we were not there. We did not witness it. We accept it as a presupposition. 
We're not trying to prove it. No. We accept it. We admit it's a presupposition. We were not eyewitnesses to it. We could submit evidence, I suppose. But our, but our job is not really to persuade people about what we accept as a presupposition. We admit, we accept as a presupposition that all that you see is uh, due to the creative work of a designer or a creator. Okay. So now you go over here to this other group. They say, we on the other hand are logical and scientific. It's so interesting to believe the way you simplistically do, but we are scientific and logical. They are not honest because they say, no, we don't believe in the beginning God. We believe in the beginning matter. That's what the so-called scientific logical group say. They say, we believe in the beginning. No, it was not God. It was matter. What matter? Eh, we don't know exactly. What's it called? Eh, we're not sure. What did it consist of? Eh, we're working on that one. How did it come to be? Well, we, we have guesses. Nonetheless, we believe in the beginning matter. Matter what? It came together. How did matter come together? No, we're not really sure. We have theories, that's all. But it came together somehow. And somehow it just got into this combination of stuff and from it, all life emerged. They weren't there to see that. They can't even explain it. But they won't admit the starting point for their belief system is also a presupposition. Our presupposition, which we're unashamed to admit, is in the beginning, God. Their presupposition is in the beginning, matter. Therefore, do not let so-called scientific logical people put you down. Both camps believe in a presupposition. It's just different presuppositions. In fact, I think it takes less blind faith to believe in that one than this one. Why is it a big leap from logic to faith when you look to the design in the universe to see it as evidence of a designer? It doesn't seem like a big leap this seems like a leap of faith. Look you, look, you get a microscope and you look through a cell, a bacteria or something like that, and you study it. It's fascinating. And you see the organization in the uh, atomic world. You see the systematization of it all. And then you get a telescope and you look to the great beyond and you see, again, the organization and systematization in it all. Then you put little old us in between the microscopic world and the telescopic world, and you try to fathom the complexity of our system. It's amazing. Our digestive system, our respiratory system, the way things work and move and all the rest, our anatomy. This group said all that, microscopic world, telescopic world, you in between, chance just came together spontaneously. Can't explain it, didn't see it, don't really have evidence of it. That's what we believe. We are scientific. What? To me, it takes less of a stretch to simply say, when you see the design in the microscopic world, the telescopic world, and even in our own being, that there is a designer. 
The reason I say this is don't let them put into contrast faith versus science. Don't buy it. Good science is not at war with the biblical record. Bad science is. A few weeks ago, we had on a Wednesday night a guest speaker. Maybe you heard him, Dr. James Tour. He's one of the most renowned chemists in the world. He's a professor here at Rice, thoroughgoing believer, and he happens to be Jewish. Uh, and he's a genius. And he made something clear. Good science supports the biblical record. It's only faulty, bad science, the likes of which a lot of our kids are getting in their schools today, certainly in most universities, that wages war against the biblical record. So both groups, if you want to put it that way, operate by presupposition. It's just that that group won't admit it, but we do. And that's called biblical faith, confidence in what God said. In the beginning, God created. That's what God's word said. We are people blessed with the ability to accept that. That's called biblical faith. We do not believe matter came first. We believe God came first. That's it. Prove it, say they. No, you say to them, you prove it. You prove your supposition. I think it's easier to argue the case for ours than for theirs. So the, the writer is simply saying, by faith, we, we understand these things. And again, this is what a good definition of biblical faith is. It's simple. It's confidence in what God said, which implies real faith is not confidence in what God didn't say. This is an error many of us make. Somehow we think God said certain things, we put our faith in it, it doesn't come to pass, and we get angry with God. For instance, God never said things like, I promise that you, my son or daughter, will be granted immunity from the coronavirus. Doesn't say that. Therefore, if you get it and die, your relatives cannot say God lied. No, Biblical faith is simply confidence in what God said, not what you think he said. Today, my wife got a disturbing email before we came to church about a horrific accident involving some people she knows. They were away on break in Arizona in a car. It was an accident for one was a girl who uh, was one of my wife's students. She's a high school graduate now. She was in the car with her younger brother, her mother and father. She died, the young girl, as did her mother. The father and the son survived. They're in ICU. We don't think they yet know that their family members are deceased. They were people of deep faith in the Lord Jesus. Did he lie to them? No. It says nowhere in the Bible, while... You're traveling in a car in Arizona. I promise you immunity from accidents. doesn't say that. Biblical faith is not believing God for what he didn't say. It's real simple, believing God for what he said in Scripture. Therefore, Paul's advice to Timothy is something we ought to heed. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent. To present yourself approved to God as a workman 
who does not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. Accurately. We're awaiting our next pastor. I hope you're praying. It's fun. Um, I'll tell you what's fun. He's already out there. He just doesn't know. He's going to be our pastor. And we don't know why. He's being prepared for us while we are being prepared for him. We have a wonderful search team. Their job is not to find him. Oh, no. Their job is to recognize the man who God would have be our pastor. They just have to recognize him. They don't have to find him. How do you find him? So in the interim, I have a lot of fun praying for the kind of person I would like. I just think of all these characteristics. Now, God could say, you know, Stuart, that sounds good, but no. That's fine. So therefore, it doesn't hurt to ask. But one of the things I ask God for is someone who's a Second Timothy 2.15 person. I want someone who's diligent in handling scripture so that he can feed us on it. I want someone who has spent sufficient time in study, in his study, so that it's recognizable. I can't see your hand back. Oh, yes, yes, go right ahead. I am glad you're here because you are going to make this intensely relevant. So our dear sister who is afflicted with with cancer has had really good, well-intentioned people say, I'm praying for your healing. And our sister is wondering, I know you appreciate that, what should be her response to it? Um, We are going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it in a second. So, so first, let me just tell you, biblical faith, again, is confidence in what God said. It's not confidence in what you think he said. For instance, um, have you ever heard someone say, I'm going to enter into agreement with you about such and such? You know, you want a job, some job. You've applied for it. I'm going to enter into agreement with you about it so that you get the job. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from a text in Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 18. If you agree on anything, it'll be granted to you. What about the context of it? It's church discipline. You know what it's saying? This is what God is saying. I'm the head of the church from heaven. I've appointed various church leaders to shepherd the church on earth. God says I give authority to duly appointed church leaders to exercise church discipline. It's rough. It's sensitive. It could be a problem. I authorize you to exercise it when necessary. And whatever you agree on on earth, I will agree in heaven. That's where the concept comes from. It's church discipline. What have Christians done? They've wrenched it out of context and invented this whole procedure called entering into agreement with you for whatever outcome you want. That's what I'm saying. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not confidence in what you think erroneously God said. He did not say that in Matthew 18. He said to church leaders who have to exercise church discipline, even though I know you may be hesitant and sheepish about it, please do it. And when you agree on it, 
I will affix my approval on it in heaven. That's what it says. Read Matthew 18. Simple. Read it in context. That's why I'm praying for a pastor, to be honest with you, who teaches books of the Bible. Start at the beginning of a book. Go to the end. Because there's a greater tendency of taking things out of context if you're just here, there, and everywhere, all over the Bible. You say, well, he preaches the Bible. Yeah, but is it in context? Is it in context? I just gave you an example how you can take that passage in Matthew 18 and really wrench it out of context, and it looks like it's Bible teaching. It's not. It's a distortion of Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.15. You have to be diligent. To present yourself to God as a workman, it means skilled craftsman who doesn't need to be ashamed. What does that mean? We may have cause to be ashamed when we stand before Almighty God because we've mishandled the text. Don't do it. Work hard at it. To me, that's the premier characteristic of whoever is the next man of this church. Be a skilled craftsman in feeding us on Scripture. It's very interesting to me, that those of us who would stand up in a second and fight back if anyone was taking our Bible probably doesn't even read it. Very interesting to me that we Christians today are more prone to read about the Bible than the Bible. I don't get it. I don't get it. We'll stand up to show respect for the reading of Scripture and then not really study it. Sit under it. Read it in context. Read through. Become every day more of a student of it. We'll read devotional guides. I don't have a problem. They're magnificent ones. But as a substitute for going directly to Scripture, I don't get it. I don't get it. We will become enamored by books like the one called Jesus Calling. No, he's not. Not in that book. The author is writing as if her words are. Jesus' words. She's writing it. And I say to you, my dear child, those are her words, not Jesus' words. You can't do that. She could write the book and say, I read this verse in Scripture, and in it, I think the Lord is teaching us such and such. But if you put your words on the same level as Jesus' words, I think I can call that blasphemy. And millions and millions have taken the world by storm, and most of you have read it. Love it. Why don't you read Scripture? I don't get it. You just agreed with the fact that God used as an agent of creation his powerful word, and yet you avoid his powerful word by reading the words of creative writers instead of the word of God. I don't get it. I don't need a pastor who looks good, has a good sense of humor, and tells a lot of creative stories. I don't need someone who makes the Bible relevant. It's the word of God. Through it, he created the universe. He surely can transform lives. I just need someone who spends more time on the text than on being creative. Teach me the Bible. I don't care if the next pastor wears a tie or blue jeans. I don't care as long as he wears something. That would be important. Teach us where the flock of God feed us on the word of God. To me, that's a very important kind of a thing. So, again, biblical faith is simple. Confidence in what God said. It is not confidence in what he didn't say. So, 
Biblical faith is not confidence in an outcome you want to see. So I was pastoring a church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Great church. And at the end, I went into a room like our connection center here to meet with people. A lady was in line and she stepped up. I knew her, young woman, a guest, visiting because her parents, who are members of my church, the mom was ill in the hospital with cancer. When she got to me, I said, it's good to see you, but I wish it was under different circumstances. How is your mom doing? She said, my mom is well. My mom is healed. I said, oh, that is great news. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. When did she get out of the hospital? She said, oh, no, no, she's still in the hospital. I said, I'm sorry. I thought you said she's, she's healed. I'm believing God for it. What kind of artificial thing, what kind of mind gymnastics do you think our beneficent father wants us to go through? Where you have to talk yourself into a reality that is not reality. Thinking that's how I will obligate the father to come through for me. I said to her, well, well, I'm, I'm going to continue to pray for your mom. And yes, to the great physician for her in total healing and that she would be well and have length of days. She said, no, don't do that. That's a negative confession, she said. My words are implying she's not well yet. I want her to become well, but she's not well yet, and therefore, it's a lack of faith. No. Biblical faith is not faith in the power of your faith. Biblical faith is simple. It's confidence in what God said. God did say, and with his stripes we are healed, but he didn't say that's the case for everyone this side of heaven. He said one day we will have glorified, sin-free, sickness-free, fit-for-eternity bodies. Till that happens, I don't want to break it to you, but Christians get cancer, diabetes, heart disease, get in accidents in Arizona, and do not have immunity from the coronavirus. What the Bible promises is that, but I can use all things for the good. What the Bible promises is that though this hurts, I'll be with you in the hurt. What the Bible promises is that I'll never leave you or forsake you. Absolutely. Biblical faith places confidence in those promises during the times I told you, but this idea, I'm believing God for such and such, well, if he didn't clearly state it, you're not believing in what God said. You're believing in an outcome you want God to bring about. That is not biblical faith. Listen, you told me you believe a creator created the cosmos in the power of his word but I hope you don't think your words have the same power his do. I cannot speak what is not into existence in the power of my words. If I believe so, I am usurping the unique role of the creator and making myself out to be like him. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is confidence in what God said, not in what you think he said, not in what you want him to do. 
not in your thoughts, and it is not biblical faith to put confidence in what you declare. I proclaim amongst, I proclaim your healing. I pro- well, let me just say, who do you think you are? A better thing to do, my dear sister, as you've been told, is to say, I'm asking the great physician to make you well. And I'm asking the great physician, if he chooses not to, to bless you in the process anyway. I'm praying for your healing. Why shouldn't I? But then I end up by saying, nevertheless, God, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm praying that you would use even this cancer, which is not good, in your daughter's life for good. I'm praying that her relationship with you, even in the midst of this, would be deepened, not distanced. Those are things we can pray for sure. Am I doubting that God heals today? I did not say that at all. I didn't say it at all. I just don't think he heals because you claim it, enter into agreement, gang up on him, twist his arm. (laughs) He heals some and not others, all as a function of his sovereign good will. He's God. These mind games, they're all new age mysticism. No negative confession, speaking into existence, mind power. Just think about the outcome you want. What? What? That's, you find the same stuff in New Age Eastern philosophical systems. I'm, I'm belaboring this just to show you. Biblical faith is what gets us approval in God's eyes. By this, they of old were approved by God. God approves of the person, not who's perfect, not who's sinless, not who's without flaws. Biblical faith approves of the person who takes God at his word. Other kinds of faith are not the biblical kind of biblical faith that wins God's approval at all. So I just gave you a list of three or four that masquerade as real good biblical faith, but they're not. They're not biblical faith at all. Um, Years ago, there was a televangelist in our area victimized by a storm we had here in Houston. His home, big home. Why so big? Because he told people, if by faith they sow seed into his ministry, God will bless them manifold. By the way, this sowing seed into ministry thing, please show me this in the Bible. I don't know what you're talking about. How did this guy get his prosperity? Well, it wasn't by faith. It was by the audience of those who fell prey to his appeal and who sowed financial seed into his ministry. So he had this multi-million dollar home blown away by one of our storms. They interviewed him on TV. There he was in a t-shirt and disheveled hair here, there, and everywhere. He didn't look cool and well put together like he normally presents himself on TV. Here's what he said. I've lost everything. It's all gone. What am I to do from here? That's the man of faith. Yeah. In his self, in some formula, he constructed to obligate God to give him what he wanted. And then when it was gone, his house was built on sand, wasn't it? I'm belaboring this point because that's the whole chapter. It's the faith chapter. What is faith? It's real simple. 
Faith is confidence in what God said in spite of circumstances. Faith is confidence in what God said about the past. For instance, you know what God said? Your sins are a past issue. They're cast behind his back. They're separated as far as the east is from the west. Biblical faith says when you're tempted to um, condemn yourself, feel guilty, and think Jesus' crucifixion wasn't full enough, biblical faith says, oh, God, I don't feel entirely forgiven, but I'm going to put my confidence in your word. That's biblical faith for the past. Biblical faith for the present, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Oh, God, I feel nervous and anxious and on the verge of being forsaken, politics, disease, whatever. No, I'll never leave you or forsake. Biblical faith says, I may not feel it, I may not see it. I take you at your word. Biblical faith for the future says, one day he'll present us holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Biblical faith uh, puts its confidence in verses that say, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Biblical faith says, oh God, I'm staring the future in the eye and it looks bleak and it's unknown and it's unnerving, but I put my confidence in your word. That's biblical faith. Don't distort it. And make it look like it is faith when it is not. Biblical faith simply is confidence in what God said. Not in what you think he said. Not in what you want him to say. Not in what someone else tells you he said. Not in agreeing with someone and ganging up on him. Not in imagining things. (sighs) Biblical faith is simply confidence in God's word. We know what that implies? You have to know God's word. By the way, the writer here starts us out by implying one's faith has to be put in God as creator. Interesting, the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, begins with that whole notion of God as creator. Why? That's the starting point. Think about it. You who have accepted the fact that God is the creator, it's affected you. Because just that truth has persuaded you, well, now wait. If he's the creator, I'm not. I'm the creature. That'll change your life. He's the creator. I'm the creature. He's the Lord. I'm the subject. He has mastery over things I do not have, including me. I yield to him and I worship the creator. I don't worship another creature. I must not seek the worship of others. I have settled this based on Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Whoop. Well, I didn't create. He did. He created me. Second thing, just that simple faith perspective does. It tells me um, that my worship is to be of the creator, not the world he created. And yet, don't you find it interesting that so many politicians running for office, now look, why don't I just spit it out and um, save you your time in sending me emails. Please don't say separation of church and state, stop talking about politics. No, no, no. 
That is a misunderstanding of separation of church and state. You don't understand it. In fact, you show me one area of life that is not to be informed by Scripture, including politics. If you render a vote for a candidate that's uninformed by the scriptural perspective, why are you voting for that person? By the way, I'd like you to pray for my dear sister, Kathleen Wall, who sits there, right there. She's in a runoff. I didn't tell you who to vote for, so keep your emails to yourself. I just said, as my wife says, there's one thing about Kathleen Wall, you know what she believes. May 26th is the runoff. It's a battle. And yet she faces it with a delightful smile. I don't know how. Well, she says, by the grace of God. Please pray for her. You don't have to pray that she be elected if God doesn't so move you. There are other things you can pray as well. But here's the deal. Um, I didn't tell you to be a Democrat, Republican, or anything because I think sin knows no boundaries. <laughs> We're all sinners, and nobody has a corner on the market of, on virtue, no political party. None of us are virtuous. So don't misunderstand my statement. But I will say this, and you might say, Stuart, you have no right. I'm just sharing what's out there in the public market. When we had 9,347 candidates for the Democratic um, <laughs> nomination... I know it's down to three. You, did you know it's three? Yes. Although the lady has been kind of neglected. But anyway, before there were two, there were a lot. Of, and they were a um, diverse group of the people as you saw them. But they had one thing in common when asked, what do you think is the biggest challenge we face today? Everyone said climate change. I watched every debate. Every, I want to be an informed voter. I watched every... And you know what I do? I pray for every single person. For some, I pray they'd be elected. For others, I pray they'd be saved. So, uh, climate change? That's the biggest challenge we face? You know what's in us as human beings? The capacity to steal to lie, to murder. Those seem like bigger challenges to me than environmental issues. There is pollution out there we ought to be concerned about. But the real problem we face is the pollution in here. What a distraction from the real issue coming to grips with the creator. Stop worshiping the creation, the world, the environment. I didn't say we shouldn't be interested in sustainable things and good stewards. I didn't, of the natural resources bequeathed to us. I didn't say that. But that's the biggest issue. Are you, you know what that tells me? It tells me people don't want to face the truth. The truth is I found the enemy, and he is me. Me. My inclinations. Moral pollution in me. So 
if you by faith accept Genesis 1-1, you've learned you're not the creator, number one, and therefore you're not to be worshipped. The creator is two. You learn the creation is not to be worshipped. Mother Earth? No. Father God. Can you see the this smoke screen here? Get our eyes off uh, our responsibility to Father God and, and guilt trip us into our responsibility to Mother Earth. Mother Earth cannot save me, cannot fix our fundamental problem. Here it is. All have sinned. Democrats, Republicans, Independents, all have Baptists, all have sinned. And fall short of the glorious standards of Almighty God. That is the fundamental. Here's the fundamental human problem. It's our separation from the creator. Does anyone know 1 Peter 3.18? It's not a test. I just can't remember it, how it starts. <laughs> 1 Peter 3.18. Maybe you can help me with it if you can look it up real quick. I'll know it if you get me started. But I'm getting older. I forget stuff. 1 Peter 3.18. Oh, for Christ also died for sins. The just for the unjust. Then what does it say? Once and for all. Why? That he might bring us to God. That's the fundamental problem. Our alienation from God. Our separation from him. Who is the solution? Jesus. That's it. It's not climate change. It's my separation from the creator. How could a creature... Think, have the audacity to think he can make a go of it when he's ostracized from the creator. What Jesus did is designed to bring us to God. That's the fundamental human problem, it seems to me. So that's why the writer of the faith chapter starts us off with our faith and confidence placed in God as creator. Can you see the difference? And then one final thought in verse... Four, you see, uh, well, before we started, have you heard of Adam and Eve? You know about these people? They had a couple boys. You know their names? Yeah, Cain and Abel. What did they do? What did Abel do as a vocation? It's like a shepherd or something. Wasn't he done? Like a shepherd? I think it was a shepherd. And uh, Cain, what did he do? He's, He's like a farmer. Okay. Two sons. They both make sacrifices to God. Abel's is accepted, but not Cain's. Why? Any thoughts? What do you say, bud? Uh, thank you, brother. Um, Cain's heart wasn't right. Absolutely. Obedience. Type of sacrifice? Say more about that. Really great. Really great. Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sin. They're naked before God. They make an apron of leaves. That's the first religion. Man, woman taking things into their own hand, coming up with some deal. You know, we're vulnerable before God. We'll cover up for our nakedness with an apron of leaves. God says, not going to cut it. He clothed them with the skins of animals, which implies animals had to die. That's the sacrifice he's looking for. Cain shows up on sacrifice day with a beautiful bouquet of flowers. 
It looked much more attractive than blood, but God required the blood. Remember, faith is confidence in what God said, not in what you think. Therefore, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. Cain didn't handle it well. And so we find out about the first murder in the Bible. Cain murdered Abel. And there are people like Cain today. In fact, I think the entire human society is divided on this basis. It is not male and female, old, young, black, and white. I know we divide that way. This is not the two major groupings. It's are you connected to Abel or Cain? What do I mean? Uh, Cain said, I don't want to take God at his word. His sacrifice, the sacrifice his require, he requires implies I'm really bad to the core and cannot be righteous in my own strength. No, I'll show him. I'll present him something that I produced. I grew up these crops, these flowers. I'll give it to God. It's the spirit of Cain to kill grace. That's why he murdered his brother. Abel reminded him, I'm, I'm worthless, oh God. I'm useless. I'm a debtor, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. He just came to God with empty hands and on God's term, claiming no self-righteousness whatsoever. Cain hated it. Self-righteous people hate it when there are others who say, oh, no. I'm in right standing with God based on grace. So there are grace killers. And to me, that divides human society. The light has come into the world. The darkness could not stand the light because their deeds were evil. And so you have a very interesting demographic. The Hollywood people, extremely talented actors, actresses. And every time it's an award ceremony, I watch them. I shouldn't, but I'm fascinated because I'm just waiting for whatever platform various ones wants to have. It's like the spotted turtle one day. It's the this, it's the that. You know, they just almost arbitrarily embrace these humanitarian causes. That's the offering of Cain. That's the bouquet of flowers. I refuse to admit I need the cleansing blood of the Lamb of God to cover for the scarlet nature of my sin. Instead, I think I can offer to you, God, something that will win your favor. I don't need you saving me. I could save myself through my good humanitarian deeds. And that's why some of the most moral, morally Askew people hide behind these goofball causes and then they can go and sleep around with whoever they want of any gender and, you know, whatever. Just do it. I'm a good person. I'm saving the owl or whatever. I'm saving the climate. That's what, it's the spirit of Cain versus Abel. Now, here's what's really interesting. Cain lived a long life, bore a lot of children, was quite successful as the world would reckon it. We would see Abel to be a tragic story. Died tragically at an early age. Oh, no, no, it's the other way around. Cain is the tragedy. Because the text, verse 4, I guess I never even read it, did I? By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. And then the verse ends by saying, though he's dead, he still speaks. What does that mean? It means, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death has been removed. Abel was killed, murdered. We would say it's tragic. His life was cut short. No, no, no. He lives forever. Why? Because of his faith. 
He had confidence in God's word. He still speaks. <laughs> what about Cain? He's the tragedy. He got a major portion of what the world has to offer, but that's the sum total of what he will have, and it ends upon his demise and death. Folks, if you get the coronavirus and die, I promise you we'll weep at your funeral. Please weep at mine. It would be cool. But not for too long. For though the Christian dies, he speaks. He lives. How? By faith. What is faith? Not wishful thinking. Faith is confidence in what God said. What did he say? He who has the son has the life. Biblical faith. It's not wishful thinking. I hope you're connected to the uh, legacy of Abel, no matter how what your span may be here, rather than the legacy of Cain, who had a lot of what the world had to offer, but refused what God had to offer. He will not speak after death, but Abel will. You will. I will. God will not accept the bloodless offerings we like to give him. Good deeds, humanitarian causes, giving money away, whatever. I didn't say those are bad things, but they're inadequate things. They're bouquets of flowers. God will only accept the blood of the lamb. That's what he said. You can say, that's your opinion. No. I've just put my confidence in what God said. That's biblical faith. And it's on that basis that we are saved. No matter what may happen to us. It's very impressive to see the Christian response to the coronavirus. It's just different than the non-Christian response. The Christian response is, let's be sensible and, you know, wash hands and whatever. Uh, But we're not living in a cave, cowering under the covers in fear. Perfect love casts out fear it's not my love of the messiah it's the messiah's love for me so even as i read the head in the news and watch the news and begin to get nervous and scared and i don't know what the future holds by faith i'm going to put my confidence in god's word that's biblical faith can you see how it works biblical faith is not I know what the future holds. You know, you get these people who, you know, they tell you things about your future. Wow. In the Old Testament, if they missed it, we'd line them up against a wall and throw rocks at them until they were dead. Today, they just go on another station. Hey, Jim Baker, you know him? I think Jim Baker needs to get a job. Uh, some attorney, governmental attorney, just issued to him a cease and desist order because he's hawking on his TV show some product which is guaranteed to cure you of the coronavirus within 15 minutes. So, yeah, oh, yeah. So, oh, for a mere 150 bucks. Put your faith in it. Lay your hands on it. I'm laying my hands on it for you. I got my faith in it. What? That's not fa- Remember... Biblical faith is confidence in God's word, not some magical potion offered by a guy who's a felon, a convicted felon masquerading as a man of God and making life difficult for the rest of us. I'm not that kind of Christian. Don't relate me to Jim Baker. Good night. 
So now he's got this public deal. You'll read about it. This is real great publicity for our so-called Christians. Now people are, are working on a cure for it. Really, really great. You know, Israel may come up with one. Wouldn't that be an embarrassment to those who hate Israel? They're working on it. Who knows what the deal is? And I know God can heal without any vaccine cure and all the rest. He is a healer. If he chooses to, but he may choose to heal us not from an affliction, but through it for better reasons. Did Jesus have inadequate faith? Father, let this cup pass from me. And the father said, no, drink it. And he did, and he died. What happened to his faith? It's amazing to me how little of the world's stuff he had. He had to borrow someone's tomb. What our leader is about flies in the face of what these television people and goofball preachers almost on every corner is about. Now, why am I saying that? Because I'm a sarcastic Jewish New Yorker. (laughs) I don't know how to... I don't know how to be diplomatic, what, uh, what the deal is. But, but here's, follow a church that teaches the word of God in context. And sit back with a discerning mind. Sifting it through the biblical grid is what you're hearing true. Does it make sense? Matthew 18, let me enter into agreement. You'd be embarrassed if you believed that to see it's about church discipline for crying out loud. Anyway, (sighs) biblical faith is confidence in what God said. Know what he said. Value what he said. Learn it. Study it. Memorize it. Live by it. Proclaim it. That's biblical faith. In the rest of the chapter in Hebrews 11, we'll get to some more next week. We get to see people who made the cut because of that faith. And they were a motley crew. It's so encouraging to me. I think I can make the cut. Good night, Samson's listed in there. That guy was a major womanizer. How do you make the faith honor roll? Even Samson put his faith, confidence in the word of God at a certain time, in what God said. One of the things that God says that's hardest for us to get is, I forgive you. Biblical faith is is confidence in what God said. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for providing everything we need to thrive to be prosperous even in times of adversity and challenge. To have it well with our soul, though it may not be with our physical bodies. In fact, if we're honest with you, Lord, we really run to you more readily in times of hardship than when things are going smoothly. Perhaps that's why you allow adversity to come our way. It's not to destroy us. It's to deliver us from worldly things. It's to enhance our sense of dependence on you. Who are we going to cling to except you, creator of the universe? Thank you for your wonderful work of creation and your wonderful work of redemption by which we are saved. 
by faith. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, God bless you folks. See you next time. Maybe. <laughs>